What is up? What is up, everybody? Hope everybody's having a great day, whatever day you're going to be watching or listening to this. This is your host, your founder of Breaking to the Future, Joshua Taylor. Uh, we got special guest today, a legend in the making, at least, uh, Nitin Gore. Uh, what's up, man? How are you doing? Hey, great to connect with you, Joshua. And uh, for the for the record, this is going to be the beginning of the lip, you know, of of the Independence Day weekend, the Fourth of July weekend. Yeah. So glad to be here with you. I couldn't find a better way to finish the weekend than talking to you and talking about what's you know what's in the store for all of us. So thanks for having me, and really glad to you know glad to chat with you again. Yes, yes, I'm super pumped. Uh, I I I will let you enter yourself, um, but I ha I have to do this. I was. Uh, before we connected, shout out to LinkedIn. Um, when I looked you up and uh, for people who know and been following breaking crypto and now following my journey into the crypto verse, uh, Nitin is, like I say, he's a legend. His, his, his uh, resume speaks for itself. He's on the advisory board for Stanford University, the Digital Currency Initiative. He is a founding CTO for IBM, their mobile payments and IBM Cloud. He's a founding director of the IBM Blockchain Labs and also the founding director of the IBM Digital Asset Labs. Um, and he's the director of the IBM <laughs> Financial Sciences and Digital Assets. What do you not do, big bro? Hey, hey, that's, uh, you're very kind, uh, Joshua, but uh, it all happened not at the same time in succession, of course. And uh, you, yeah. besides the title and the title inflation that's happening around us, there's a lot of scars and, and learnings behind it. So I'm thankful for my employer of IBM to give me a chance to be able to drive and learn and, 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 and push these things forward. I'm also thankful for the ecosystem, but uh, my current capacity, I serve as director of financial sciences and digital assets. Uh, and all these happened, you know, besides the titling, I think it, it all happened in succession where, you know, you start with mobile payments and you realize that blockchain was emerging. This is early 2012 days. And then I had to convince our execs to invest into blockchain as a transaction system mm -hmm. that led to leading the blockchain labs. And because you're founding that whole thing, you, you had to then build an ecosystem around it inside of IBM and outside of IBM. And then you realize you're not doing the right things because you're solving for database problems. And then you said, okay, we need to bring the notion of digital assets. So you found another entity to focus on digital assets <laughs> uh, to bring the focus of value movement uh, as blockchain is meant for. Mm. So all this happened in succession. Mm. And because you're so tied to it and you sort of own it, you said, okay, I'm going to do this because it's, it's an important part. And so uh, that's the short, short end of that journey, uh, as, as you put it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you basically are running, incubating a startup inside of IBM. Uh, Which is hard because you still are dealing with bureaucracies. You're still dealing with the big organizational structure, big decision making. But that's an attempt. So you're absolutely right. You start up this little thing and you get funding and you convince execs to say, we need to do this. It's important. And so that has been certainly interesting and, and painful at times too. Yeah. What, what, what would you say were like the key, key learnings within this like almost 10 year experience? You're so early in, in the blockchain. Like, you know, today it's a, like a totally different world. Back then it was like, we're just trying to get abreast of social networks and social media. Right. So to me, a few things to learning, right? I realized that most platforms, that's the platform of the Web 2.0 world, the Amazons and the Ebays and the Baidus of the world and social platforms, you know, included, 
um, and platform of the Web 3.0, uh, which is there's subtlety in differences, but uh, the, the, the ecosystem and talent is incredibly important, uh, which means you cannot go alone. I, I don't think there's any startup that can go alone and achieve it. I mean, you have to be a part of the ecosystem, which means there's a gift to get. And many large corporations in our cohorts try to go all in or try to monetize this from uh, being a platform, from, from a software-centric you know, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I think that the power of ecosystem, which drives the power of network, and they're linked, right? The bigger your ecosystem is, which is providing the valuable services, providing the valuable assets classes, and providing valuable adjacent services, uh, will attract more and more people because each ecosystem brings their own special, spe- you know, specialization as well as the as the populace to the network. Mm-hmm. And to me, I couldn't stress this enough that uh, the, the future of Web 3.0 and everything resulting on top of it. Uh, foundation being blockchain and all the ecosystems, including the commercial ecosystem, the financial ecosystem, the retail ecosystem, the NFT ecosystem that's emerging, will rely upon this massive innovation that comes from the ecosystem. So to me, I've learned that the ecosystem is prime prime to the success of these networks. Uh, Second thing I learned is that uh, for us to be able to get the right parties, especially in large corporations, because I represent the institutional side of the house, there's little motivation to, there's a understanding that they have to do something about it, but there's very little motivation for large corporations who have a business model, who are on the path of monetizing their previous investments into technology, investor business model. Mm-hmm. And so you really have to work extra hard to say, look, these are disruptive technologies, disruptive business models. And you really have to work extra hard to convince the large corporations say you really need to pay attention to this because this could either be transformative for your own business or whatever is happening in this ecosystem driven business model or platform driven business model can be uh, disruptive to where you are today. So think 10, 20 years from now. Um, and, and that has been, again, a very interesting journey to convince a lot of business owners because the motivation is simply not there sometimes. Yeah. And while there's curiosity, but it's really the the motivation that drives funding, support, sponsorships, and all that stuff. Yeah, man, this is about to be a clinic. I have, I'm gonna say it's every show. I have a lot of questions, <laughs> and I have a lot of questions for you, uh, Nitin. But okay, two questions. What really? When was blockchain like a objective truth for you and a fact? This is factual. This is gonna happen. Yeah. And then. How did you get from that point to like, okay, I finally convinced IBM, this big, you know, entity to actually buy into me, buy into blockchain, buy into what we're doing? Yeah, no, no that's, that's a great question. There's a lot of history behind this. So let me explain to you, right? I was, I was tasked with creating a strategy and a point of view as a CTO of IBM Mobile Payments. So this is pre-Apple Pay. Uh, and we've come a long way ever since. And so the idea was, how do you take the mobile revolution and make payment easier at retail level, peer-to-peer payment, sending money? You know, this is pre-Venmo, pre-PayPal. Uh, PayPal was there, but PayPal was very limited in terms of what you could do from a PayPal perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I met about 65 different payment processors of the world. These are first datas and visas and MasterCards in terms of trying to understand what role can our company play? Because one thing we've done really well since inception of our company is transaction systems. Like, you know, if you look at what we have done from from back in the day, from middleware systems and back office systems and in databases, these are all systems that 
facilitate today's transaction, whether it's insurance, financial services, retail, uh, you know. And so uh, the question that became is, you know, what is our role in that new emerging economy? And in every conversation that I went, the conversation of Bitcoin and blockchain came up. They either asked for my opinion or they said, you should look into that technology in general. And at the time I knew about Bitcoin, didn't know this was 2012. So I, I hunkered down for three, three months, went through every single YouTube video there is to watch, uh, every single literature there is to watch. And um, of course, being IBM, we've had access to amazing talent and research and understanding consensus, why you need consensus, state machines, all the technical thing that makes this happen. And then it clicked one day to say, you know, um, it is not just about Bitcoin as a fad. It's the underlying technology that makes this so powerful in terms of lending its tenants to transparency and to immutability and, and, and all the trust systems uh, that it can facilitate. Mm -hmm. And so learning from that, to me, it was like, this is the next era of what, you know, and we thought about this back in the day that information made amazing things. It, it made egalitarian access to education, egalitarian access to newer business model access via email and, 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 can, and truly connecting the world in good ways and bad ways. Yeah. Uh, now that information is moving faster, so is misinformation and that's having its own consequences. And then that leads to uh, the next phase is saying, you know, what the internet was, was never designed for moving value. And we have used, we've had layers and layers of, of element on, on, on those things to be able to do banking, to buy airline tickets, to buy things online. And, yeah. and that has created a massive web of vulnerabilities, which is what we begin to manifest now, you know, hackers hacking the systems and everything else. It clicked to say, you know, this is really something which is transformational to bring the new era of web and take the, the internet to truly globalizing the movement of banking because cross-border payments back in the day and cross-border movement of value is still a huge challenge. And so my selling point to some of our execs, and, and I think one thing good about my employer, regardless of the fact that we're not in mainstream anymore because we don't make you know, video games and we don't make, but we're still essential technology behind the scenes where uh, you, get, you get your day in the court and you get to make your case to some senior execs and you get sponsorship. It's a process like any large corporation. Mm -hmm. And my selling point was, uh, if blockchain is the next generation of, of transactional system, which it is, at the, at the heart of it, blockchain provides transaction systems, uh, then it's as disruptive to us because one thing IBM does really well, which is our legacy and our history, is transaction systems. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's as disruptive to our technology base as it is to financial systems and payment companies and banks. And that's why we should invest in understanding it. And it took me some time, but I think we... Uh, we went forth forwarding in terms of um, in terms of making the investment and going to the market and, and and having a perspective and point of view on that. So that's a that's a journey in short. Yeah, thanks for that uh, explanation. That journey, I, I would say you, IBM is a leader in the blockchain space, and um, you know, kudos to your efforts over the past almost a decade. Uh, but when I started to research blockchain, even in 2017, 18. Uh, when I first heard about it, like really, um, 2016 is the first time I heard about it, but like we all have that story where we just kind of, sure. uh, I don't know, um, I, that's when I was working to tr attempt to get in the hedge fund and right. I should have paid attention, but who cares? Uh, perfect time is now. Uh, but yeah, I think like IBM has been a leader in terms of big enterprise um, for years now, leading that charge. Um, can you, 
can you talk about like blockchain from an enterprise perspective, like yeah. a B2B for business to business for all listeners? We want to educate people here. Yeah. This is for the 99% about all things future. So business to business versus like business to consumer. Yeah. Right? Like what has been the difference for you? Yeah. No, no, absolutely. I'll tell you this, IBM has been leader in technology for enterprises, but uh, unfortunately, in, despite our attempts, only because of our strategic priority and large corporation, and that's true for most, you know, our cohorts, there's a whole emerging decentralized financing, Web3.0, uh, NFT space, which is purely consumer to consumer driven. So the whole peer to peer, and we are sort of noticeably absent in the space. And the reason for that is we are uh, as, a, as a corporation, we serve the enterprise. Business to business has been our sort of focus. And so you can't be in dominating in every area, every place, because that doesn't simply, you know, uh, make sense from a perspective of strategic focus. Yeah. And so when I launched the Blockchain Labs, the intent was to create this process from soup to nuts from our client base, which is large retailers and institutions and insurance companies and banks, to understand the technology and create a path for them to adopt and adapt, whether you're going after transformation power of the technology, which is basically flattening the business process and making things better, digitizing the existing paper-driven processes that are trapped in many, there are still a lot of trade logistics and trade finance, which is still trapped in paper-driven processes, yeah. simply because of the lack of trust in the fragmented ecosystem that's global. Yeah. And so we said we can create a business network and sort of, you know, encipher these paper-driven documents, not just digitize them, which is conversion of PDF, but encipher them to a point where no matter who accepts it, the ecosystem has a, has a workflow that has a trust built into it. So people are not carrying the documents, flying over literally with the, with the shipping, for, you know, for example. And we took the same model for food supply chain and drug supply chain and said, you know, we can transform the manufacturing base and and, and including financial services, which was laden with inefficiencies and, and intermediate, you know, intermediaries. And every time you have inefficiencies, intermediaries, the issue of what I call as time and trust as two constructs, yeah. there are, there's a lot of seepage of uh, sort of efficient capital. And, and, and in many cases, the capital is either locked or capital is not utilized you know, efficiently because of the inefficiency you know, in the system. Yeah. And so from an enterprise perspective, that has been our focus to say, let's remove inefficiencies. Let's what today is a fragmented ecosystem of business process management that's trapped in every enterprise because the world exists. There's a B2B networks. There's business happening between enterprises, uh, whether it's small, mid, small and mid enterprise or large enterprises. And the question then became if they can put them on the same network, can we not leverage the power of blockchain to reduce the processing time as the assets, whether these are digital assets in form of documents or digital assets in form of workflows, um, move from one enterprise to another enterprise. And there's a visibility, uh, a certain sense of visibility that allows the enterprise to be able to coordinate and make that process efficient. Uh, and there's a lot of cost, cost takeout uh, business cases and cost of compliance business cases that we have uncovered. Mm -hmm. uh, but many of those use cases are remotely, uh, I would say, differentiated from the crypto use cases, which is completely new asset classes, completely new business models. And so there's a whole dichotomy of the stream the enterprise is on and trying to use the technology versus the truly decentralized uh, you know, world or, or the crypto world. And we begin to then talk about the divide, the divide between how do you bridge the gap between the two? And that's an interesting journey on its own, but mm -hmm. I'll, I'll stop at that.
Joshua. Would that be another? Would that be another episode? <laughs> That'd be another episode. I think that I've been talking about this for quite some time. That that divide will eventually close, just like the internet had created a divide back in the day, and it took us almost two decades to close that divide. Like if you look at Amazon, Amazon platform or Baidu platform or any of the e-commerce platforms is an amazing result of 20 years worth of, of sort of workflow designed by a single platform. Mm-hmm. And, you know, truly you have, uh, you know, if not hundreds of thousands of millions of companies who are on Amazon platform that we, me, me and you don't even know about, and they all are working in tandem the moment you place an order, for example, right? Crazy. So. Networks, large. Um, yeah. So I want to go down that road in terms of public and private blockchains, sure. <laughs> but I probably won't. Uh, oh, you should. I'm telling you, it's, it's your show. You, know, you have the flexibility. Yeah. I, I, okay. I want to talk about, because you're saying, is that what you're referring to, right? Like a public chain, right? And a pub, public private chain. But first, how, in terms of enterprise getting on the blockchain, right? Like a Walmart, like, a, you know, these various stores, big, big enterprise stores and different businesses. How many companies are using these like in the Fortune 500 or the Fortune 1000, Russell 2000? Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you, there's, there's at least some project, at least in, let's say, Fortune 500 or Fortune 100. There's at least a blockchain project somewhere in the corner of the enterprise. And you, you can pick healthcare, you can pick retail, you can put manufacturing or supply chain. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, any of the Fortune 100 is dealing with some level of supply chain. When the supply chain is dealing with trade supply chain or even financial supply chain. So the whole notion of moving money and moving assets is also a supply chain of payments in general. So there's some project somewhere uh, in some form, whether it's a POC or MVP or minimum viable network type stuff. Yeah. Or there is a avenue for the Fortune 100 in case some Fortune 500 to make investment into these crypto custodians, for example, or going after any of the entities who are in this permissionless world because that represents a new growth opportunity and no one wants to really miss the board and have to have some perspective, some investment, some project from that point of view. Yeah, so you would say, oh, sorry. Yeah, and I draw the analogy between the early days of internet. When we had internet, we began to send emails uh, and you may be too young for it, Josh, and I was still in college, so we, we're dating ourselves at the moment. <laughs> but the, 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 the idea there is that maybe, you know, with your youth, you may not have seen the pain points, but email was a cool thing back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sending attachment became even more cooler, like, wow, we can send attachment with this email. And then businesses begin to look into this from a perspective of, so we had internet, and then we figured, can we build a fence around the internet to create intranet? And so every enterprise had the intranet. And we said, if we have intranets across the globe of a truly global company, can we not connect them through virtual private connections or you know, VPCs and VPNs, for example? I see where you're going with this. Yeah. Right. And so the thing is that internet was a global utility, a single network, but you had all these ecosystems in form of either virtual private networks or ecosystems emerging and we found a way to connect them and found a way to layer them. And then you had this HTTPS born, TLS born, we're comfortable banking. And and, uh, so it took a while for us to get used to the whole element. And I find that that same synergy, and I wrote about this a while back is comparing the protocol evolution with blockchain world in the the internet era to blockchain with the next, you know, Web3O era is 
that you'll have many public utilities and you'll have many fungible, non-fungible assets in the network. And it all depends on the consumer demand and the demand of the enterprises. That if I'm a banking consumer and, and today it's happening through fragmented nature of things, I have to have a Coinbase account, I connect Coinbase as a regulated entity to my bank account. And that allows me to then participate in this, in this ecosystem. A lot of steps. <laughs> right, a lot of steps. But eventually uh, you'll find an avenue just like we have seen back in the day with these fragmented ecosystems and VPNs to quietly connect and truly have an avenue to move information around the globe. You can imagine something similar where I can move value around the globe with, you know, with embedded trust and, and much reduced cost because no longer I'm sending reams and reams of paper with shipping containers, which may take some time back in the day, pre-internet. Uh, and and it's, it's sped up our productivity suddenly now because we could work 24 seven with the global workforce. Wow. That's how I envision this evolution of this space uh, is extrapolating this, but the, the challenge is figuring out the trust and security elements that we need to address uh, to plug the holes what Web2O has exposed over time. Yeah. Would you say COVID-19 was a huge catalyst of the supply chain inefficiencies um, and a lot of the things that blockchain has been working on, but like, oh, this is, this, people are finally like, okay, maybe this is it. No, that's a great question. And I think that the crypto community has always celebrated any pandemic because it's a black swan event that completely throws off all the metrics and all the trends. So if you look at the financial industry, every industry has AI and they do modeling of things are happening and suddenly COVID shows up and it throws off all those models and crypto community is celebrating that to say, hey, we are, we are, we are digital natives and we, we didn't really have to worry about this stuff because we were doing this crypto world. Um, but I'll tell you this though, um, the, the issues that COVID surfaced around supply chains from a perspective of the fact that we became very mono, uh, you know, monoculture uh, elements of saying, you know, we need to have efficiencies. Uh, and there is, there is sort of a, a balance, uh, you know, between, between what the, you know, what we have looked into from a perspective of driving efficiency and having the right diversity uh, to be able to, you know, have a resiliency in the system. Mm. So there's always a dichotomy between if you're super efficient, you're not resilient. Yeah. Uh, if, you're, if you're super resilient, then you don't have the efficiency because, you know, so the, the, the cool thing that crypto community demonstrated, I think, in our, in our, is finding the balance between staying efficient, but also staying resilient, uh, finding different routes, different protocols, different, you know, and that's where I think the fact that we don't have one blockchain to rule them all, uh, to me, was a more resilient effort to say there are many ways to skin the cat, and what is the best way to move the asset, whether it's Ethereum network or bridging or polka dots, or you know, all this protocol provide that diversity that was trying to make the protocol efficient, but also uh, provided a resiliency to the whole effort, which I think is a very innate characteristics of many of the protocols that are emerging, and I think that's a beautiful thing. That's nice. That's awesome. Yeah, it's. There's been a lot of development in the, since 2017, 18. A lot more projects have not just popped up, but have, the developers have really come online. And when things get bad, I would say you, you get in the chain where you start to work and you start to really, there's been a lot of maturity in the space in terms of real projects, real use cases, um, and the crypto and, and just the blockchain in general has, has grown up a little bit. Um, sure. So that, that's really awesome. I know I haven't been in the space that long, uh, but it's really exciting uh, 
what do you think in terms of being in that corporate world like um is the biggest hurdle for a lot of corporations to get over right now i mean yeah you have people testing it some corporations are getting their feet in the water but probably a lot aren't really can that concerned um you know what what do you think since you're 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 really close to it so there are two things right the ability to take risks in the corporate world is very minimal right because you're dealing with and for all the right reasons right we have built the financial system that relies upon a lot of things that the world runs on today like movement of money ensuring that money is not used for nefarious purposes anti money laundering know your customers uh, and on and on and on so regulation generally is not a bad thing uh, it creates burden for the industry because the idea is to provide a resiliency in the system for for the bad actors to and it creates a administrative burden and creates you know the cost of compliance and as a entity that supported the globe for such a long time and supports so especially large corporations who are involved and in any whether supply chain or movement of money these are all regulated activities which need reporting uh, and there's a lot of fraud in the system too um, in spite of all the regulation you begin to see there's always a loophole somewhere somebody exploits and it comes to surface so we have to be extra careful that we're not sort of breaking down the the order that we have in the world from a from a system that has been created yeah. uh, and and i think that there's it's not just the imagined order as uh, the author of sapien talks about but it's also the order that we have created which there are rules of engagement in that in that in that system mm-hmm. uh, which i think many of the smaller companies are much more nimble and they're able to have the luxury of taking the risk um one because they're trying to disrupt the system and challenge the status quo which is a great thing mm-hmm. but also uh they don't have much to lose uh, both from a reputation perspective and the fact that starting out they always have an opportunity to you know kill a project and start a new one uh without losing a lot of reputation which a large corporations like jpmc bank of america ibm adding the world uh, or fortune 100 companies uh typically may not have the luxury of of that of that approach mm-hmm. so i think um while the flexibility of being nimble and challenging the status quo and being a challenger in the space uh, leads to a massive amount of innovation you have to realize the position of the large corporations who are custodial of these these various systems that run the run the you know infrastructure we have to be a bit more careful because there's a lot riding on these systems yeah so i think there's a balance between the two and and i think the inability to take risk and it's just systemic in in nature yeah. is something which i would say is is a problem of any large corporation any fortune 100 fortune 500 entities and that's why you'll find many of the innovation projects or innovation labs or spin-offs or new codes are forming so they can provide the flexibility and nimbleness because in many cases if you have to go through a, a legal approval for every decision it's very hard to innovate why yeah. because you're you're constrained by the system to do anything which is good and bad so you you have to kind of take pick your poison yeah The police the government police are out there uh um <laughs> so do you 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 i guess you keep touching on this hey be innovative but be have a balanced approach right yeah. um you know i think crypto crypto natives crypto verse was really very like we're going to shut down the system financial crisis we're tired of this we're changing everything um but you're starting to see the corporations come and you're starting to see institutional investors come and you're starting to see the merging of the worlds and 
the commercialization a little bit and kind of a balanced approach. Even my first week at Boson, like understanding like, okay, like we don't want to be like, we're taking down commerce. Like, like there's a balanced play, like there's an art of war approach um, that I, I guess, I guess that's what you're saying. If I'm, if I'm thinking right about it. Um, and so we don't actually collapse the system because that'd be painful to a lot of humans <laughs> and we don't want to hurt a lot of humans and businesses. Um, so, yeah. No, no, and, and you have a really good point there, Joshua, because if you think about it, any crisis, whether it's financial crisis or the 2008 crisis that we have, the global financial GFC, as it's popularly known, the reason why it's important to preserve that, because it's called a crisis because it impacts a lot of lives, it impacts a lot of livelihoods. And that magnitude has not yet absorbed by the crypto community. So there've been a lot of crises, even in our, in our community, the crypto community that we operate in yeah. at small scale, right? We've been having a bunch of thefts, people have lost keys, people have fake debts, you know, because they're part of, you know, exchange. That's a crisis. Uh, it didn't touch as many lives. So it is not term crisis, but imagine uh, if something like that were to happen at a global scale. Uh, and so I think, you know, the industry itself is in, in the whole movement of Web3O, which is decentralizing trust and decentralizing the computes, the storage, the interconnect, which then is the foundation for whether it's NFT or fungible tokens and everything else, and creating a seamless model that it's well understood by every person who's on the network uh, is the role of keys and role of custodies and humanizing those elements. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where the industry is heading. Um, so I think this crisis in crypto world too, uh, because of the scale, it's not yet a global crisis. Mm, yeah. uh, and those crises happen day in, day out, as we see all the time that, you know, somebody lost X amount of money, or, you know, there's been some fraud happening and that's, that's a crisis too. It's a different crisis at the moment. Yeah. And I think to me, this, the, the industry is working towards plugging those holes. And once that's resilient, and has the right technology, which is well understood, I'm pretty positive that the two worlds of decentralized and sorry, the permission permissionless will converge because who doesn't want a good tech, right? Who doesn't want to make the life easier? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, do you want to keep using like just- A travel agent maybe? I mean, who uses travel agent? Like, do you have a travel agent in your street sometime? And yeah. I, I, I travel the world and I ask this question, who books the ticket to travel agent? And there are no travel agents anymore. Yeah. Uh, you, you go online and you book it, but you still have, you know, experiences like you have Expedia, you have Trivago, you have all these things who provide the same service, but the, but the focus of that service has changed. They're more focused towards your experience than simply buying your ticket. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's not tra just transactional. That's life, right. life is not a transaction. Relationships are not transactional. Sure. Um, some of them probably are for people, but I'd rather have great friends like you or you. <laughs> so right. yeah. Uh, so why, for someone that's never heard of Web 3.0 or doesn't not inform, why, why is Web 3 important and why do we need that? Yeah, no, that's a great point. I think we're good, right? Why yeah, we I mean, look, you have internet today and world is working. You can log on, check your bank balance. There's somebody responsible behind the scenes to make sure it works. You can go buy airline ticket and, and, and day in, day out, there are vulnerabilities and things get hacked. Uh, there's ransomware attacks that are, that, that is, that's happening and so on and so forth. And the reason why Web 3.0 is important, and this is, so we had Web 1.0, which is the early days of internet, which connecting the ARPANET and followed by ARPANET. And then you have Web 2.0, which is trying to bring the 
the solo mode, which is, you know, uh, you know, social, locational, and mobile. So mobile evolution led to a seamless experience, whether you're on browser or your phone or wearables or anything of that nature. That was Web2 essentially is linking your, your digital life. Uh, it's all, the entire platform has evolved and developed on the protocol that, that was developed about 30, 40 years back, 73 onwards to 90, 92. And, 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 and we have focused more on scalability, ubiquity, uh, access to networking and so on and so forth. But I think the system that was designed was designed for dissemination of information. Um, and, and now when we talk about value, and I'm not just talking about assets, whether it's stocks, bonds, money, fiat, CBDC, I'm talking about everything that we value, information, truth, and things that you own, right? And so the thing is that the reason why you need Web2O, which is decentralizing these things, because you're not letting a single system be hacked or a single a platform being able to be used, whether maliciously, intentionally, or unintentionally, as a vehicle to spread disinformation, for example, because we value truth, we value information. Uh, and so Web3O, by decentralizing things, you're sort of, uh, in, in all areas, you're decentralizing governance and not giving one entity a chance to to take or, or you know to to exploit the system, which is what's happening today, mm-hmm. and and that's why what Web three was trying to do is take away this notion and truly democratize movement of information, movement of things of value, and in 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 and build trust in the system, which will help us fuel the growth in the next era, mm-hmm. uh, for the next fifty to hundred years, mm-hmm. allowing you know um, the betterment of how we live and how we consume information, how we make decisions, how we vote how the democratic systems work. So it's really going towards the social systems, information systems, capital systems, financial systems. Uh, and that's a new platform that we envision, if that makes sense. Yeah. Question, another question. What do, <clears throat> what in terms of regulation, how do governments, how do they fit into the picture? Um, yeah, how do governments fit into the picture and what happens to governments? Um, state-run governments, city-run local governments and national governments. How does that work in a blockchain crypto world? And then what happens to businesses if they do not get on board? Well, it's a lot of questions. So a few things, right? Uh, <laughs> again, if you, if you read Sapien, it talked about Imagine Order and that's been since the evolution of our human history, we've had imagined order. We've had some order in the system, whether it's a small chief in a, in a, in a, in a tribe uh, going to kings and nation states and villages. Uh, there's always this hierarchical order which helps us organize how we identify ourselves, where we live, what are the rules we live by. And so I don't think I'm, I, I share the view of a completely anarchist and libertarian model <laughs> Only because uh, we have, you know, we have come to a point, the scale of which are, are you know, we, we live, we need some order uh, to organize ourselves and, and take organized actions. Um, so that's, that's one point. I, I don't subscribe to the completely libertarian model. I think we do need some order. Uh, otherwise, uh, things, you know, from our normal survival and how we behave may become interesting. Uh, yeah. really. uh, second thing is, uh, I'm not suggesting that. So these systems will help govern better. Um, and I think, I think once the systems emerge, you'll find that the reason why we have so much regulation now 
is to plug in the gaps of technology through policy. The reason why you're AML, KYC, you want people to report this stuff is because the technology doesn't let you do that because it's all fragmented and uh, to early model. Mm -hmm. I think governance becomes easier. Uh, the fraud detection becomes easier. The ability for you to do wrong things becomes harder because things are transparent. The ability for you to provide, to, to spread this disinformation becomes harder because there's transparency in terms of origination of content, movement of content and, and who spreads the content and, and you can reward and penalize whether you're embedding them into your protocol or embedding them into ousting a certain parties or individuals from the network because there are rules of engagement. So even blockchain is not exactly, even though it's, it promises a, a libertarian model, there are rules by which you operate in the consensus is rules. Uh, Ethereum 2.0 is moving towards proof of stake. They have rules. It's, a, it's an imagined order too. Like you have to behave in a certain way, otherwise you're slashed and your, 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 what you're staking sort of get reduced. So to me, I think Web3 will drastically reduce the, the, the burden of regulation. You have much more transparent systems, which attracts capital, which attracts talent, which attracts best minds. So I think governance wise, it becomes a lot more easier. And I think, I'm, and I'm pleasantly surprised, I work with a lot of regulators, that crypto space, you'll be surprised that the receptivity and the work from many regulators on the globe has been phenomenal. Mm -hmm. They're slow in moving because there are existing constraints that they have to operate in, but they have been very supportive in taking the step to understand the technology and move forward with having that meaningful regulation because anything you pass has an impact on our lives because we, you know, we do a few things around it. So yeah. that's where things are. So I'll posit that to see if that made sense, uh, that you need that imagine, imagine or you need some of these things for, you know, for it to function. More balance, more balance. <laughs> Free with uh, some governance, freedom with some governance. True. Yeah, um, I guess uh, two more questions uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up for the day um, in the holiday weekend. What is, if I am a teenager to young 20s and I'm hearing this uh, for the, maybe the, I'm still a crypto baby, I'm a beginner, blockchain baby, or I'm, you know, into my career, I'm older or I'm, hey, middle-aged, what, what do I do? Where, where do I go from here, Nitin? So I think that from a perspective of, it's never too late. Let's put it that way. So whether you're starting out, you are, you know, and I've seen many people who've come into this game super late, but there's brilliant in the thinking. I think having an open mind and being receptive is the first step. And, you know, I've always joke about this. Our mind works best, our mind like a parachute. It works best when it's open. Yeah. Uh, and, and you have to have an open mindset to get in the space. It's never too late. Mm. But I also would say that and this is the hardest thing I have to keep up. There's so much happening in the industry. It's practically impossible it's, to know it all. So I would do two things. Get the basics. It's important. You can't just go all the way to layer four and, and so get the basics of what blockchain is and how it works. Pick your swim lane and, go, and just go in the swim lane yeah. and see where it goes. Maybe it's good for you. If not, it gives you a to switch a swim lane in the future. Yeah. But you're building upon what you know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So start with basics, understand what the technology capabilities are, 
um, and and not just from lingo perspective, but truly understand it um, and and pick a swim lane, whether it's NFT or DeFi. In DeFi, you have hundred different areas. Pick a swim lane, understand it, see if it appeals to your senses, and if not, then pick something that you're naturally gifted with. We all have some interest, whether it be like healthcare, finance, NFT, basketball. Pick your poison that you naturally lo- love to do because you understand the space better exactly. and go in that swim lane. And I, I, I'm pretty positive. I mean, you're a perfect example. I mean, you have tried so many things and talking to you, you're, you're a hedge fund guy. And I think what we see in DeFi now, it's, it's the same era of what hedge fund used to be in seventies or eighties, for example. Right. So absolute alpha. <laughs> oh, that's right. Go for the yeah, alpha. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, um, what's your swim lane? So my swim lane is finance. I'm a finance guy. I understand it. I actually enjoy it. I like uh, the complexity. I think I also get the lingo, which is a hard part in finance uh, in general. And I've been at the space for some time, uh, especially <laughs> movement of money, movement of assets. Uh, I sort of begin to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's my, that's my thing. And global finance becomes even more interesting now because suddenly you have flavors of finance, whether it's uh, Islamic finance, which has its own rules, yeah. uh, whether the context of finance is different in Europe than it's for US, US dollar is a world reserve versus let's say you go to Kenya. Uh, so I think money ties our lives together and money has a lot of context. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think finance is interesting because it touches our lives in more ways than one. It's implicit in many cases. Yeah. Uh, and that, that to me is interesting. That's my poison. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. What, where since this is all about the future, where is the future uh, for you? Um, and then where, where, is, where are we moving in this next cycle for, for the blockchain and crypto? So to me, I think maturity, right? You find so many protocols that are out there mm-hmm. in terms of, um, you know, you have suddenly now you have, Definity has ICP and you have Algorand, you have EOS and you have, you know, Ethereum moving from, and to me, uh, that's all an evolutionary step. I do think, and this is something which I've written about too, that after all, almost a decade worth of 12 years after Bitcoin and almost the ex- exponential growth since 2017 to now in the crypto world, it's time we reassess that and focus on the foundation. So if you look at for internet to really work, you have to lay out cable fiber cables and get the bandwidth down to start doing Netflix and doing, so now you have 5G, combined 5G, which is telco bandwidth versus, these are all, this is all basically foundational elements for internet to truly be active. For you to be able to perform a surgery, you need to have the bandwidth to be have real time response times to be able to do these things. The promise of of high bandwidth and promise of Netflix, because Netflix started out, if you remember, maybe you're too young for that too, shipping out CDs. Yeah, Yeah, shipping out CDs, right? And and so or or DVDs for example, uh, and time. right. And the thing is, they started out that, but they did have the vision of going the internet route. But you, the bandwidth that reached a certain point, which we can enjoy Netflix, and they stopped shipping CDs and took the same customer base mm-hmm. and moved them to online, which removed the whole order of shipping. But they first started with saying, you don't have to go to Blockbuster or go to your Redbox. You can ship it in your mail, and they build a network, and they had enough enough thing to make life easier for us. Mm. And they said, now you don't even have to go to the mailbox. You simply sign on your phone and you're, you know, in your devices and you're done. So for that, you need to have infrastructure. And I think for crypto, NFT, and any flavor of the digital asset space and crypto asset space, Web3 should be our focus. We need to build that infrastructure, the scaffolding that will support these asset classes. I think should be the next step. 
Yeah. Nice. And what's next for you? What do you? Ah, uh, we're going to continue chipping away, man. I mean, it's like you know, there's no overnight success in these areas. Yes, you hear of overnight millionaires with Dogecoin and all these things, but for me, it's you you chip away and and solve one problem at a time, yeah. and you benefit from the industry. And uh, you know, all of us can't be Dogecoin billionaires, yeah. but uh, but we can try to to benefit from the innovation that that goes into it. Yeah, yeah. You're you're the ten years, and then you you cash out billionaire. <laughs> I don't know about that, but but we can try. <laughs> yeah, whatever we're blessed with, but we we want to we want to break into the future. Uh, that's what it's all about. Uh, thanks, Nitin. This was so dope. This is a clinic legend, IBM exec. He's a founder of so many things. I'm giving him praise. I thank you so much, man, for helping me and breaking the crypto into the future. Where can people follow you? Your writing. Uh, LinkedIn work. is a perfect place to do. I write quite a bit, and uh, I must say this, Joshua, that I think. Uh, now known you for the few calls uh, and I think you have a bright future and I think you've done a lot and you've done, you know, you're doing your part to involve the community and do your part. So I think I thank you for, you know, for being that person too, because you, it, it takes a village literally. Yes. It takes all of us. Thank you. This is about helping the 99%, no matter where you come from, sure. break into the future, blockchain, crypto, but everything, electric vehicles, 5G, solar, cannabis, psychedelics, Everything, deep everything. tech, IoT, AI, we can go, poverty, everything. Sure. So, sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll definitely have to talk again. Uh, we'll keep Sounds it. Sounds good, Joshua. You have, you enjoy your, you know, long weekend uh, yes. and let's cherish what independence truly means. And it's not barbecue and beer. No. Uh, it's it's more towards, you know, what we stand for as a nation and, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, in true sense, I think. Yes. And we're, we're fighting for it every day and uh, continuing perfect. to fulfill the Constitution, getting better. That's true. <laughs> getting better. We, we, yeah. we, we take four steps ahead and two steps back, but yeah. we still hopefully as long as we're moving yeah, forward. It's still the net two. It's net two, right? Yeah, so I, we're only 250 years old, right? Like it's, that's right. That's yeah, right. For sure. Right. Have, a, have a great uh, July 4th weekend and we'll talk soon. You too. Take care, Joshua. Bye. Man, that was lit. Nitin Gore. Uh, he could, I'm going to put his, his stuff in the, in the below and in the link. LinkedIn, if you're on LinkedIn, um, I'm sure he has Medium. Or I'll, I'll find his information. So IBM executor, founder of a lot of their digital assets, and blockchain labs at IBM. He's a Texas guy, uh, India, India as well. Uh, he's a super cool. So check him out. Hey, we're breaking into the future, all things future. Let's get it. Joshua Taylor, whenever you hear this, it'll be after July 4th, but I hope you had a great one. Love y'all. Let's go.